And we're back to Heart Fails 73. And so it begins. Let's do it. What do you got? <laughs> well, you know, you, you uh, I, I don't want to say you challenged me to do this, but uh, your suggestion to me was to, or your answer to my question was to seek him. And in doing so, uh, you know, if I continue to read the Bible, then I am doing what I can, or at least beginning to do what I can to allow God to come into my life um, and into my heart. You have a special person in your life that's newer into your life. You, I am assuming just from meeting her for the first time tonight, that you would like to get to know her in every possible way that you could. You would like to spend as much time with her. You would like to ask her questions. You want to know how about her past, her present, her hopes for the future. You want to grow your relationship with her. Yeah, I mean, she's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely <laughs> Sorry about that. She knows I'm kidding. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. Yes. God is a person. He's actually three persons in one. The whole purpose of life is the recognition that we're not in fellowship with God. We're born in sin. Light has no fellowship with darkness. We are all born into darkness. God is light. God is holy. God is completely set apart. The whole purpose of life is to be reconciled to God. The way that we are reconciled, of course, is believing in Jesus Christ as the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. It is by his blood that we, the, the wages of sin is death. His blood paid the price for our sin. In believing in him, God says, you are no longer guilty. Your sins are washed clean. You are now reconciled to me and will spend eternity with me. In being reconciled or in hearing him call to you or if anyone, I heard him call to me as well. I wanted to know more. I wanted to say, who are you? What do you want with me? What do I need to do? Sure. All those different kind of questions. And as I was reading the Bible, it dawned on me, this is actually how I get to know God better. Right. He and left 66 love notes to me. Right on. And how horrible would that be if I just threw them in a drawer and never read them? So that is my encouragement to everybody. Read the Bible. Well, and it's, you know, so I did. Excellent. What do you whole, got? whole thing, cover to cover. I'm done. There was one verse that you saw <laughs> that was completely wrong, and therefore you threw it all away. Oh, man. Chronicles, what a page turner. Yeah, man. So I, I, I picked up John and started to go through it a little bit more. I think, you know, last time, uh, definitely not the last podcast, but last time we talked about me reading, I had gotten through three chapters. Yes. I believe I've gotten through like six more. I think I'm on like John 9. Okay. Uh, John, maybe up to John 10, something like that. But I've got a few things that are underlined, uh, a few questions. One of the things that I, I did notice is that uh, throughout Christian upbringing, we, uh, we've heard our pastors use a lot of specific words in their, in their preaching. Um, one of them you just used, and I know I've heard it, you know, I don't know, three, 4,000 times in my life during some type of, of, of sermon. Reconciled, reconciliation. It's become a very familiar word to me. 
The definition is not familiar to me. At some point, I intended to look it up so that I had the correct definition. That never happened. So, are you relying upon me on defining the word? Well, I mean, you used it, so I'm assuming you know what it means. Otherwise, to bring back together, I guess, is a, a layman's kind of definition. You, we're we're split apart from God. We we have no fellowship with Him. We cannot be in His presence. To be reconciled to God would be to be brought back to him. Because Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they walked with God. They knew God intimately. And as soon as they fell into sin, they hid. Sure, okay. They were out of his graces. They were out of his... They could no longer be with God in the way that they were. Their relationship was broken, and it wasn't God's fault. That makes some sense to me. So we've all had those people in our lives that maybe we've done something wrong to, or maybe there's been some sort of misunderstanding, or we've hurt them in some way, and we leave them or they leave us. The reconciliation would be the bringing back together. Okay, all right. Something that you recommended to me, uh, I believe it was actually on um, Thanksgiving morning, um, was a different book. Oh, yeah. Uh, which was uh, Jeremiah. Can I interject here just for a second? Nope, I'm when sorry. When you sent me a message, <laughs> you sent me a message that you had gotten to John 9, and you seemed, I don't want to say excited because it's hard to gauge uh, emotions over Facebook Messenger, but you seemed like there was a lot of things going on, that you had a lot of things that were rummaging around in your head and bouncing off of walls and doing all these different kind of stuff. And we're not going to get to all of them today. I fully no, recognize that. No, we're that. not. But I just want to tell you that that was really cool. To get that message from you, really, I think I even responded something that I, I was proud of you. I don't know. I didn't read your message. I, I, no, I, you know, um, you did. That's what you said. And I mean, well, that's nice to hear. I mean, it was, uh, I, I guess it was just kind of cool that, um, you know, I mean, you said that. And then you also said, man, I, I really think you're going to enjoy the Bible, you know, once you get into it. And I am enjoying it. It's weird. Let me tell you this. It's weird reading it now. In our last podcast, I talked about my buddy Jim and how he came to Christ, you know, late in life. And I almost equate me reading the Bible now. And, and, and I don't know, I can't speak for him, but it has some, some similarities to him coming to Christ late in life because I had it early on and I turned away from it and now I'm, you know, being reconciled with God and I'm reading this Bible again and it's almost like I'm reading it with a new set of eyes. I'm getting very different impressions reading it this time than I've had my entire life. And I think I, I, think I even messaged you that, like, dude, I'm getting a totally different impression of who this Jesus guy is or was than I've ever thought before. And it's blown my mind completely. And I don't think I told you about it, you know, what my, because you're like, good or bad? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, obviously he's a terrible person. No, I mean, you know, um, so I don't think I really told you, you know, what my impression was, but it's extremely different. I've always been taught that Jesus, I mean, he's just, okay, so just so everyone knows, I say something like that. I kind of expect him to say something back, but instead he looks at me and nods. So, yeah, I mean, that's what's going on here. It's like, I feel like it's a one-way conversation. <laughs> hey, any feedback to that comment? 
and then there's just a there's just a nod. I was going to tell you last time about how I just spew out different things and it's all mysterious and you don't click on them. It doesn't click together and sometimes it doesn't make sense. And I wanted to use the, uh, I wanted to say, wax on, wax off. Right. Okay. I mean, I, I understand why that doesn't make sense. Uh, all right. You know, I mean, and, and I, I guess basically what you're telling me is that it's eventually going to make sense. Correct. Um, yes. So, I mean, I get the analogy. Uh, Karate Kid analogy. Thank you, Mr. Miyagi. Thank you um, very much. Did you watch the Jaden Smith one? I did. It wasn't bad. Excellent. Um, I like Jackie Chan. I'm glad I sidetracked this conversation. Yeah, it's pretty Jeremiah. cool. Jeremiah. Well, first of all, let me tell you about Jesus, all right? Okay. Um, and then we'll go to Jeremiah. So but how, how, how has your mindset changed? Well, so I've always been raised, you know, kind of like, um, and maybe it's just my impression, or maybe it's the way that the the world seeps into the Word of God, like we've we've chatted about in here before. You know, Jesus is forgiving. Jesus saved us. And when those are your two main messages, I think, what you come to picture, or you know, the the let the children come and Jesus hugging all the little children, I think what you sort of picture is just this uh, guy who's like you and I because he's relatable because he's a human. And he's a guy like you or I who just happens to be the son of God. And he's smiling and, and he's, he's laughing. Yep, he's and smiling he's so caring. And everything is um, it's gonna be okay. I'm here and it's just a gentleness, right? Yeah. I mean, I watched the movie The Shack um, a few years back, which I don't know if you've ever seen it. I did not. Okay. Um, I willingly did not see it. All right. At the time, you know, it was probably the closest thing to church that I had done in a long time. I watched it, and, you know, I mean, it it uh, hit me in a couple different ways that were good. But Jesus in that movie, you know, is depicted as, uh, and maybe I need to go back and rewatch it and see if my vision of it is different now. But what I gathered was, you know, it's dogma. It's buddy Jesus. Yeah. You know? And now that I'm reading this, uh, John, man. That's not the picture I get at all. One of the things to think about, and I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes here. Ouch. A kind, loving person, everybody gets along with that person. Absolutely. Florence. We talked about Florence the last time. Nobody goes to Florence's house and is like, I don't ever want to see her again and sneers at her. No, everybody wants to hug her after meeting her five minutes afterwards. Got that? (sighs) Huh. That seemed like a very difficult sentence for you to say there. Afterwards, three syllables. Oh, wow. Whoa, and it was plural too. <laughs> yeah, <sighs> somebody's forgotten their Metamucil today. <laughs> People hated him. They hated him. He rocked the boat, and he was a man of sorrows. It's one of those things to wonder. I I told a pastor once. I said, Yeah, just imagine what it looks like to see him smile. And as when he was on Earth, it's one of those things. Well. How often did he smile? I'm thinking about that while I'm reading started. it, you know, and I'm sure that he had his moments, you know, with yeah. uh, with his disciples, with his 12, you know, like they're, you know, they've done this there. It's been a long day and now they're, you know, just kind of talking before they fall asleep. And I'm sure there's like a friendliness and some, you know, some joking, you know, and things like that. And I'm sure there were those moments. He's human. Uh, exactly. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, he enjoyed some of the aspects of being human, you know, yeah. being here on earth. And I'm, I'm certain of that because God created this place amazingly. And to so he enjoyed it was good. Right. There's parts of it that we still see that are good. Absolutely. And I'm sure he enjoyed that. You know, I'm, I'm sure there were moments. I'm also sure that he had to allow himself to do that, you know, 
because he could have came down here and just been totally different. But what I gathered out of reading so far, this dude wasn't all like buddy Jesus and smiles and laughing all the time. And he came down here with a message and it was stern and he was serious and he was not taking any nonsense. He was like a no nonsense business dude, you know, like, listen, here's the deal. You guys aren't listening to what my father said, because if you were, you'd believe in me but you're not believing in me, so here's the crap that's going to happen to you because you don't believe in me. Now, I'm right here. I'm telling you, here are all the things that can save you, but you're not going to listen. You can't follow my laws. You don't understand my laws. You couldn't even follow Moses' laws. He gave you 10. You can't follow those. What makes you think you're going to be able to follow mine? And he was just like, no nonsense. You know, like, what are you doing in the temple? Get this crap out of here. It doesn't belong. And, And I mean, there was so much more of that to him than there was of all this image that that the world has and because i'm certain it's not just me that has this image of of jesus smiling and and hugging everybody and and saying come on into my you know pasture with me and the sheep and and let me lead you beside you know still waters no not everybody gets that not everybody gets to be led beside still waters you know you've got to believe in order to get that privilege and in order for people to understand that he was stern and no nonsense to tell them that. And that's the image that I'm getting of him now. And uh, I got, it's really weird. I don't know what's going on with me, dude. But I got really passionate about this in a conversation just within the last week or so about John 4 and the Samaritan woman. I don't remember how the conversation exactly started. But, I mean, John 4, basically, you know, Jesus is in, you know, uh, sitting by this uh, well, and the Samaritan woman comes up to get water, and, and Jesus is like, hey, woman, get me a drink. And she's like, uh, dude, you're a Jew, and I'm Samaritan, and we don't talk. Um, so He wasn't supposed to be talking to her. He so wasn't. It was shocking. Right. And she's like, well, you know, what, what in the world? Um, Did you catch when she went there? Uh, tell me. Uh, at, at noon, at midday, the hottest time of the day. When nobody else would be there. Okay. I did not she catch was, that. She was shamed. She was an outcast in that village. Okay. First of all, he wasn't supposed to be talking to her, and he was. Then the volley starts and of this back and forth. Oh, really? Now you say this. And then he answers her. And she's really, oh, you think you know everything. And he finally cuts her off and, and says, says, go home and get your husband. Yeah, go grab your husband. And she's like, oh, I don't have a husband. And he's like, yeah, I know you don't have a husband. You've In fact, you've five. had five husbands, and the dude that you're staying with now isn't your husband either. And the conversation that I had with this with this gal about this is she was like, yeah, isn't it amazing how, how kind he was to her? And I was like, that's not the impression that I get. I get the impression that he's calling her out for being, you know, I don't know what word to use, an, an adulteress. Those aren't the words I used in my conversation with he, her. He looked into her heart and he convicted her. Right, he, yeah. So, I mean, he's like, hey, you've done all of these horrible... He called her out on all of her sins. Like, you know what you've done. Guess what? I know what you've done. Right. And I, I didn't look at it as kindness from him. I looked at it as holding her accountable. These are the things you've done. Not like... Oh, I'm talking to this Samaritan woman that I shouldn't be talking to 
and I, I just didn't see it as like that, come here and let me give you a hug, even though I'm not supposed to be talking to you. It was a sternness, and it made me view him, start to view it differently. I guess one of the things to throw out is it's a very uncomfortable situation. The whole thing from the beginning is an uncomfortable situation. Once he calls her out and convicts her of her sin, she has the opportunity to say, whatever, I'm done with you. I don't want to talk to you and just walk away. Or she can use her head and be like, how do you know this about me? And that's what she does. She uses her head. She uses logic to say, you're just some guy who's sitting here at a well and you know me. There has to be something going on here. And she is the first person, I believe the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, I am he. He uses the words, I am, which if you go back to Genesis and Moses says, who are you? I am has sent you. John actually has, I think, eight, eight different I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread. I am the door. She says it, yeah, she says it in like uh, verse 25, like, I, you know, I know of the Messiah that you're speaking of. And then he, you know, he replies like, yep, that's me, dude. He went and he revealed himself to an outcast of society. And she went back to the village and told everybody. And they believed because they heard her. Well, they believed her enough to go out and see. Well, and if you think about John, Nathaniel and <clears throat> Philip, come and see. Just come and see. Well, and I got even even a little bit more out of it than that. And it's probably just because I read this a little you know, pretty recently. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, those people believed her and yes. what she said. And so they and others went out and still others who didn't believe her believed when they saw for themselves. So, you know, her telling, you know, him revealing himself to this stranger or this outcast, and she goes and tells her outcast buddies. And then some of those guys are like, whoa, we believe you. But some of them still are like, meh. But then they all go to this party, and they all see the dude, and they're like, even the people that didn't believe before, now that they see him, now they believe. And that's just, it's like this snowball effect. Mm -hmm. And it's craziness. I mean, and, and Jesus calls people out for it also, which I find, I don't even know how I find it. I, I find it interesting that he's like, you people all believe because you see this stuff. You see all these works I'm doing, you believe. But shame on you for not believing without seeing that stuff. Yeah, I'm just getting a totally different impression of him. Like, like he's almost just, I mean, it's like he's ticked off at everybody for having, you know, the Old Testament for all these years to study and then the thing that has been promised to them for years is Jesus, and he's right there in front of them. And the fact that they don't recognize it, he's just like, well, you guys all call yourselves like these scholars, these elders, these people that have studied this stuff, and your promise in the scriptures, I'm standing here, and you guys don't even, what's wrong with you people? It's mind-boggling to me. I, I've never read it like this before, and, and it, it's a whole new angle on what, what, what I've been taught, what I'm used to. I guess to kind of slide into that, he's not what you or they in the New Testament were expecting. N not at all. 
we have a sense of imagining different situations or people on how they are, and we get shocked when we find out that it's completely different from what we expected. I think we talked about that as well when Saul was on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? He knows he's talking to God right now. He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Whoa, paradigm shift. Rocked his world. Yeah. It's completely done. Well, and they're confused too. That That's funny because you say that like, uh, well, who, who is this Messiah? And they ask each other like, well, wait a minute here. No, no, no. Jesus is supposed to be the guy that comes. Our Messiah comes from Bethlehem. It says it in the yep. Old Testament. This guy came from Nazareth, so this isn't him. So they're using all these facts to back up the fact that it's not him. Just like we today use all this science to back up the fact that Christianity can't be real. People read the Bible in such a way that they just want to prove it wrong. They want to find what's wrong in the Bible. And as soon as they find something that seems like a contradiction, ah, I found it, throw it away. But what they don't take into consideration, and if there's a contradiction in the Bible as I'm reading it, the fault lies with me, not in the Bible. Sure. Because I'm looking at it from the wrong angle. And my prejudice is saying, well, this doesn't make sense, therefore it means this. Well, and, it, and it's completely wrong you, every single time. I've passed the 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 verse, and I, I don't know I don't know where it is. I don't know what it is, but I think I've heard you you quote it as well. But I mean, there's something in there about like you're not supposed to be using your logic to figure this out. I mean, it's a it's a spiritual thing. It's not a logic thing. It's both. I, I guess I would have to know what exactly the verse is, man. Because we do have a reasoned faith. Well, sure. Because okay. Paul, when he went to Athens, he went to the Athenians, which if you want to match a culture to present-day America, it's the Athenians. All right. He went there and he reasoned with them. He used logic to say, no, this is why there is a God. This is why this is who God actually is. God is the God of the Hebrews. His son, Jesus Christ, came and shed his blood for the sins of everyone. And he reasoned, he did use logic. So we do have a reasoned faith. So I apologize. I, 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 oh, I can't remember which, which verse I would have quoted in that way. I, and, and I could just be making stuff up. Maybe you didn't quote it at all. Maybe I'm just remembering things because I do that. I make stuff up when I, when, I, when I have a gap in my memory. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. No, nah, man, the, the word was actually logic. Logic. Yeah. It's irrelevant. If I find it, I'll cool. talk about it next time. Carry on. <clears throat> there is something in here that I, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things in here that I thought were really interesting. Tons and tons of things that I thought were just super interesting, which is probably why you thought I was excited because I was. I mean, I'm going. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm like. Get to it, man. I'm underlining stuff and I don't even know what half of it means. You know, you what, should see the notebooks and scraps of paper that I have that I have no idea why I cut it out or circled it or anything. Yeah, I mean, it, it was all so like, whoa, I got to talk about this, but I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it now. I want to save it, and now it's gone. But then you went to sleep um, and you woke up and forgot about it. For correct. Two weeks. Correct. I mean, I, something I think you know that was that was it spoke to me in a very simple way was uh, John six twenty eight. It says. Uh, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Okay, so what? So God requires something for us to get into heaven. He requires us to do something. What is it? And Jesus answered them, the work of God is this, to believe the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. That's pretty simple. All right. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I see you. I hear you. 
tell me you're the Messiah. I mean, that's that's pretty simple. Even even I think I have that down. Even I think I believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Does that make me Christian? Crickets. Huh. All righty. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it also uh, says, my mind is trying to remember the verse. It's okay. It also says here in, in John six thirty seven, uh, the second part of it. It says, you know, well, I'll just read the whole thing. All those the Father gives me will come to me. All right. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Correct. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Once you're a Christian, can you fall away? I don't know because it says here, I will never drive away. So, you know, I don't, I, I, the way I, the way I, the way I, what I think that means is you're coming to me. I'm never going to tell you that you're unworthy of me or that I'm not going to reveal myself to you if you come to me. If you truly come to me, I will reveal myself to you, which is one of the, you know, the very first verse that I was like so confused about in John, like, but Jesus did not reveal himself to them because he knew inside their hearts, right? But now this says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, which means you still probably have the option to turn away, but I will never drive you away. So I will show you who I am. I won't harden your heart. Which chapter is this? Uh, This is John 6. That's verse 37. John 1, he turns around to the two disciples that are following after him, and he turns around and he says, what do you seek? People have a wrong impression of who Jesus is. A lot of people followed him who weren't truly Christian. A lot of people today follow him who don't actually fit the bill to pick up their cross and follow him. That's uh, the the parable of the seed, planting of the seed, and it's on rocky soil, and the bird snatches it, and it doesn't right. have any root. There's, there's the the way to perdition is broad. The path to heaven is very narrow. Hmm. Well, it also says there's a lot of you know this is in like. Uh, Later on in John 6, it says that a lot of disciples desert Jesus, right? Um, yes. They had a hard time with believing that he is the bread of life. He compares himself to the manna that, you know, fell in the desert, you know, and the, and the, and the you know, the Israelites got to eat, you know. He compares eat himself to my flesh to that. and drink my blood. Right. So this, this you know, is a hard teaching. Yep. This is a hard teaching. Who could possibly accept that we are supposed to eat your flesh and drink your blood? You know, he tells him, hey, uh, does, am I offending you? Quit your grumbling, you know? Do you remember what the Israelites did in the wilderness when they were being fed manna? Yeah, they complained. They grumbled. We want Grumble. something different to eat. Mm-hmm. We're tired of the same crap all the time, you know? Same thing that I did growing up with religion. I'm tired of the same crap all the time. I want same something different. Christmas services, same this, same Bible stories. yes. One of the things that I've been trying to tell everybody, and most people look at me like I'm crazy, and it boggles my mind how they look at me or how how their reaction is to me, because a lot of these people are professed Christians. You can't expect Christian behavior from a non-Christian. That's actually heresy to say that a non-Christian can follow the commandments. It's heresy. I mean, that makes complete sense to me. 
but that's what a lot of people expect from non-Christians. I think it was last episode that you made the suggestion that some homosexuals had come into Mickey's and the guy that you were with like just sneered at him. There, there's several different things going involved, but I guess that's maybe too far out there. Example. No, I'm, I'm the more the more adequate example is you're a, you're a dad, like you know your kids. I've told I've I have yelled at my kids so often in life, and had apology sessions five minutes later saying, hey, you know what? I think I maybe yelled a little too much. Right. I'm expecting you to do something that I shouldn't be expecting from you right now. And that was the exact conversation. I said, I'm expecting you to obey me and remember every single thing. Don't stand on the chair at the table. Like, I expect you to do it because I've told you 20 times, so why aren't you doing it? And I said... I know that you can't do it. I do. Because I see it in their face. No. Yeah. They've honestly forgotten. Yeah. That they're not supposed to, you know, run around and be crazy and have fun at 9 o'clock at night. Right. I mean, oh, man, I, I get this. I, I mean, I have a son who, who is um, trying so hard to overcome. Well, he's on the autism spectrum, first of all. And, he, and, and, and one of his, his most difficult things is trying to overcome anger. Uh, that's the first thing he feels. It's, it's the same thing. And I, it's so frustrating because I can see so many different solutions to the problem that he's having. Now, whether that's because I've had the same type of problems, you know, 20 years ago and every day since. And I've tried, you know, different solutions myself every single day. You know, it makes it frustrating for me because I'm like, dude, we've, we've talked about this, man. You can't get, you can't do that. You can't do that. But, yep, you know, I mean, how can you stop when, when, all these emotions are building up and, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you just can't, you can't expect something like that from somebody who just simply can't. But here's, here's another thing. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the father has enabled him. What? I don't know what that means. What does that mean? The father has enabled him. Nobody goes and finds God. Okay. Ever. God finds you. And then you are lost in the desert and you are going to die and you're wandering around a desert and you have you literally have no chance of ever getting out of that desert and God finds you that's Christianity right there so to think that it was any part of you going there and finding God there I get that that's not what everybody's saying but if people do think that they find God, that's actually heresy as well, because it's all the work of God. Okay, I get that. I get that. I have another verse in here that uh, that boggled my mind, and we are talking about seven thirty-eight, thirty-nine. Okay. Okay. So I'll just start at thirty-eight. Uh, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit. Okay, I follow that. I understand that. The Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. All right, I get that too. Then this part, I don't get at all. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I don't know what that means at all. Like not an ounce of it do I understand what that means. I believe it's later on in John that he tells the disciples that the Comforter is going to come. The Comforter is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit could not come until Jesus 
was glorified. Glorified how? The tomb was empty. Okay. That's one of the things, too, that I, I really think is a stumbling block for so many, is that they just consider Christianity like a religion, a belief system. No, it's a fact. Three days later, a tomb. There was a body supposed to be there. It's empty. That is a fact of history. This is not just a belief, a, a, a way of living, a moral life or whatever. No, it's a fact. Just like on December 12th, 2019, Tommy and Adam were in Egan, Minnesota. Like, that's a fact. Huh. The third day after Jesus died, the tomb was empty because his body was risen. And then Paul, the Holy Spirit was granted. When he went, when his ascension, when he went to sit on the Father's right hand, he told the disciples, tarry in Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem, because I'm going to send you the Comforter. And it was 40 days later. I believe, oh man, I apologize if my dating, dating is wrong. Shame on you. But day of Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. So it was 50 days after he was crucified, I believe. Okay. That's when the Holy Spirit was sent. I mean, I mean that makes that makes some sort of sense. I'm going to go back. I'm going to reread some of this stuff with that understanding. Okay. There is uh, obviously, let me see here. I only got to like, like I said, chapter 10 or whatever here. There is one more thing that I just have a, a little note on here, and it is uh, John 8, verse 56. Okay. Now, let me pretense this with the, the question that that looms often amongst I don't know maybe it's not amongst Christians maybe it's just amongst the people that that think they're Christians I don't know a question that I've heard many times is about what happens when you die right do you wait instantly heaven or hell that kind of question yeah is it instant it's instant the second you die today okay. you will be with me in paradise well that, that that was definitely to one person yes he said that to one person yes there's um, other there's other examples. Okay. Um, um, Paul in his letters to I think the Thessalonians he touches on it. Okay. So maybe I just need to read some more. But yeah, I mean, I, my question was you know uh, eight fifty six or whatever. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And that was just like what? How did he see it? What? That that was Abraham's faith. That that was what uh, Abraham was a heathen who was called out of Ur. And the, the details about how this happened and the voice of God and how he contacted Abraham and all that kind of stuff, I don't understand it. Um, I'm sure there's theologians or people who have studied who have a better understanding of what actually ha happened. It's my understanding. He was a heathen, and called, God called him out and said, Come on, you're leaving your hometown. You're going to the promised land. He believed God. And I don't. He had faith. I don't remember learning that about Abraham. That he was a heathen. I don't remember that. I don't remember that either. Really? Okay. That was one of the things that I, I had mentioned to um, a buddy of ours in one of, the, or I, I mentioned in the podcast that I I didn't remember something along the lines of uh, Jesus is in the entire Bible, and the entire Bible points to Jesus. And I said I don't remember ever learning that. And he, as well, went through a similar schooling as we did. And he said, well, that's funny because I do remember learning that. 
and he kind of called me out on it. And I didn't have an eloquent answer beyond there. There was signposts that we were like, you know, Abraham, Passover lamb, this and that. Yeah, sure. There was big signposts that pointed to the Messiah. But I don't remember like we just my family and I just finished Exodus. Sorry, I got to go to the end of Exodus because this is awesome. 40 chapters, it was somewhat tough with, you know, I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old and listening to the detailed instructions on the linen that's used in the high priest's robe, not engaging reading for a six and a nine-year-old. Sure. I did my best to kind of try and (laughs) after I was done reading, say, here's the most important thing to remember. All of these tabernacle things, all of the, the altar, the basin, the light, everything It's all foreshadowing Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. It's all preparing the Israelites for Jesus coming. It ends, chapter 40 ends, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel went would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. That gives me chills, because this is the tabernacle, God dwelling with his people. Moses is universally considered one of the greatest, holiest men that's ever lived. I don't know of anybody in the world that denies Moses actually existed kind of thing. Okay. He was not able to go in there when God was there. He knew that Jesus was coming. That's Jesus's chair. That's Jesus's spot. See, I don't, I couldn't, I have never, ever been taught that, ever. I mean, that's... Such a simple thing to be taught. I've heard about the the cloud by by day and the fire by night, but that was uh, guarding the Israelites as they uh, were leaving Egypt. Yes, that's the only time I remember hearing about it. I don't remember hearing about it in the tabernacle ever. I don't remember the significance of the tabernacle. I don't remember the significance of it being in the tabernacle. I don't remember ever hearing this stuff. And that's not to say that I didn't, but if I did, it certainly wasn't you know like a three day course on it. My, and I don't want to say criticism, but my recollection is that we were kind of given like a picture of this is the story and we were giving maybe a three, four minute synopsis <coughs> of the story. I don't remember reading the Bible very often when I was younger. I mean, I remember reading like specific things in like Genesis or Exodus, right? I also remember not understanding what I was reading, and then teachers in grade school explaining what it meant, me not grasping the concept of what they were explaining because it was over my head as a third grader. I remember that as well. And that's what I couldn't explain to my friend was I understood that they were pointing me to something, but I I am positive we never read whole books of the Bible throughout all of our schooling. And that is why, like I said, I just finished reading Exodus with my family because this is what God tells me to do. It's my job as the father 
to make sure that my family is reading God's word. And when you go to the, um, the first five books of the Bible, that is so hammered into the Israelites. My word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path as you walk the, the streets and as you go about your day. You need to teach your children and your family my word. I, I, I also have to throw this out there. I've been reading a book about Sunday school. The history of Sunday school from this guy from like 1880. It's fascinating. It is so cool. I think I shared his picture on Facebook that he has like an awesome beard. Can't remember how I discovered who he is. But anyway, he's I'm like 50 pages into this 150-page book about the history of Sunday school, and it talks about how in the Jewish people in the synagogues, how they taught their kids on the Sabbath. And it was a question and answer session every Sabbath. It says once kids were like six, seven, eight years old, they were expected. I don't know if it's memorized, but it might have been memorized the first five books of the Bible. Whoa. That's something that every Jewish kid did. That was when Jesus, at 12 years old, was in the synagogue. Yeah. That's what was happening. The teacher would be up there. He would ask the students questions. It was a question and answer kind of thing. The students were allowed to ask the teacher questions as well. And it was this whole volley of learning which was done with the question and answers, which we were taught the catechism is somewhat of the similar vein, but it's not the same as sitting there for hours every Saturday, and this is your school, is just the Word of God. And that was one of the things that really opened up Jesus asking questions and giving answers to the teachers in the synagogue and what the actual format was there. The other thing that happens throughout the Gospels is it mentions that Jesus was not only preaching, but he was also teaching in the synagogue. He was one of those people in the synagogues that would sit there or stand there, actually, because it was like an elevated chair or you would stand or whatever. And I don't know the historicity of this book. I I don't know if that's a word. I don't even know that word. Um, <laughs> historicity. Historicity. Whoa. It's fascinating to me to think that kids, every kid that you knew would be at the synagogue for hours and hours and hours every Sabbath day. And I look at us and like, we can't even make it to church for one hour. Well, and I, th- you know, <laughs> kind of thing. you're right. And I mean, it's, it's not as fascinating to me. I feel like it's a little, it's a little more, it's, it's almost sad to me. Right. Cause you, I mean, I look at the way of the world, you know, our current world and the way we are taught to do things in life and the way they've progressed. We're born, we go to school to learn about history, science, math, English. We go to work or we go to college, uh, some of us, some of us that aren't me, uh, go to college, you know, to learn. You uh, went to Dakota Votech. I did. I did. I, I mean, I also went to another college. I made the dean's list and went, this is stupid. I'm dropping out. Um, I, I, maybe I just want to prove to myself I could, but whatever. I usually try to keep that on the down low. But then, you know, then we go to college, we get a higher, higher learning. And why do we get that? So that we can go into the workforce. 
and so that we can get more experience in the workforce and become managers and 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 CEOs and 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 that type of stuff and make money for these companies and it it just it's really sad because if you you know the example you just gave their only schooling was the word of god how did they make money i mean the same way everybody makes money they go to work i mean you learn what you need to learn at work in order to do your job but your schooling is all about the word of God. And it's just, it's just sad how far away from that we've gotten. And we call it progress. And it's not, it's not progress at all. It's taken away people's lives. I mean, you're wasting all this time at school, at college, at work. You're not spending it with family. You're definitely not spending it at church. You're not, you're not combining those two by any stretch of the imagination. And it's, it's depressing. And it's, it's only getting worse. It just continues. Uh, to steamroll out of control, and, and I, I, I think it's terrible. Also, you know, I mean, we, we have these other traditions of church. You go to church, and what do you have? You have your praise, because that's what churches do. You have a, a portion where it's praise. You have a portion where you, you know, you you tithe or you give money to the to the you know to the offering. Then you listen to a sermon. You know, listen to some uh, passages that he might reference in the sermon. Listen to what the pastor's trying to get across, what he's trying to convey to you. You do some announcements, you know, hey, all right, see you, see you next Sunday. Pancake fellowship. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's important stuff, which I, I get why the church does it, because it's a business. I mean, I get it. Well, uh, it's just the—I the, I just have to kind of correct that there. The, the goal is to—church is supposed to be a family, and I think— most churches recognize this. Maybe. And I think, especially like you were saying, in our modern day society, families are so messed up. They are. So you have at-home families so messed up, and then you're trying to create unity in a church family, and nobody knows how to do it. Everybody's uncomfortable. Nobody wants to be convicted at the well. It's because we're doing it wrong, man. Because we're following some tradition where we all stand around and listen to one dude talk. Because that's what we that's the impression that we get from the Bible. Uh, Jesus was standing up here and he was teaching. But that's not what he was doing. Question. He was teaching. It was question and answer. answer. You know what? And that's the thing that, that keeps me from wanting to go to church. Because I don't want to sit there and listen to your lesson and then try and figure it out on my freaking own. I want to be the guy that's sitting in the fifth row and not way in the back like I always do because I don't understand what you're talking about. I want to be the guy that's sitting in the fifth row, the third row, or the first row like my girlfriend wants to because she always wants to learn even though that's creepy. I want to be the guy who raises my hand and says, what are you talking about? I don't understand. Explain it to me. Heart fails, 73. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My goal is to motivate you, as well as everybody else that might be listening to this, to go pick up their Bible, to read it, and spend some quality time in the Word of God.